Oh, my God. 
minutes after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nachum Siegel. Welcome to a Thursday. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program, and we've done programming and uh, radio shows over the last 30-plus years in a whole host of uh, interesting locations. I was thinking, ZK, early this morning about some of those. We've been at the Western Wall. We've been inside the Knesset. <laughs> we've been in one of the largest sports venues in the entire country when the Siyam Ashas took place in MetLife Stadium. We have been in a, in a variety of places that are of, of great interest and uh, and certainly could be considered historic venues. And today is one of those days. We are here at the United Nations, a, uh, a building that uh, always gets mixed reactions from this audience, to say the least. The United Nations here in New York City, uh, where today we are part of uh, uh, this amazing UN Radio Day. And uh, we'll have an opportunity to speak with some uh, very interesting guests who are involved in some very interesting work on a daily basis around the world, all emanating from the U.N. And we'll certainly uh, speak with all of them about some of the topics that are very vital uh, to this audience. And that's all coming up. We'll start with guests at about 6.45 Eastern Time this morning right here at JM in the AM. Situation in Israel doesn't seem to change much, unfortunately, and you know what that means. Looks like we're uh, we're in for an episode that's going to last uh, a little longer than we'd all like. Uh, Gilad, Eyal, and Naftali, kidnapped teens in the Holy Land, are now um, are now being thought of not only in prayer services and Tehillim gatherings, and we may do our own this morning on the air right here at JM and the AM, but they are being remembered at their own homes in uh, in the different communities in Israel where their families are from with tents set up, a scene very familiar to those of you who remember the Gilad Shalit episode and for how long his family sat outside the president's house in Jerusalem. It, uh, if you look at the photos, the pictures that are coming out of Israel from the homes of the three boys, uh, that's what it's starting to look like. Gatherings and uh, a call to action that is being represented by people coming to the families and showing support and uh, lending whatever hand they can in this situation. Not Things are not getting uh, any better at the moment, at least based on what we, uh, the public, know at this point. Let's hope behind the scenes uh, progress is being made and that their return, their safe return, will be secured very, very soon. That's an announcement we'd love to make on the air, isn't it? Uh, so here we are at the United Nations today in this uh, unique venue and this special broadcast. A reminder that uh, Malcolm Honline is live in studio tomorrow. He will be in to take your questions as originally planned. That happens about 7.40 tomorrow morning right here at JM in the AM. And a um, an update of sorts. Uh, we've been uh, quite critical, to say the least, of certain government officials in this country who have uh, not played as active a role as we thought they might when it comes to the aftermath of this episode in Israel. We really have no update on that front at the moment, although we will, again, um, thank and um, and really uh, um, congratulate uh, Scott Stringer, New York City controller, who gathered with a variety of public officials and community leaders yesterday to express outrage about the situation in Israel. That's a scene that I believe and many believe in our community should be duplicated many, many times in the New York area and in Washington. We'll see if any public officials go ahead 
and uh, and to duplicate what was done yesterday at 1 Center Street. More coming up nine minutes after 6 a.m. on this special Thursday morning. We are at the United Nations. It's JM and the AM at 91.1 FM, 90.1 FM in the Catskills. Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial. And around the world on the web, jmandtheam.org.
a.m. Thursday morning broadcast from the United Nations in New York City, part of the uh, talk radio day here at the U.N. I want to thank everybody who has been uh, helpful to us, including uh, Justin and Lucas and everybody who's been uh, helpful here in um, setting us up and uh, getting us to uh, be part of this uh, really interesting day at the United Nations. There's, uh, As I said earlier, there's... Uh, there's uh, different reactions in our community around the world when you hear the words United Nations. And I do remind everybody that the partition plan of 1947, which led to the uh, blessed eventuality of the State of Israel, all happened in this building. And uh, we'll speak to some of the people who are involved with the UN. And we also will get into the uh, top, one of the main topics uh, that uh, often uh, gets under people's skin uh, those who are supporters of Israel, and that is uh, human rights and the United Nations. We'll discuss that with uh, uh, Director of the Human Rights Task Force at the UN later on in this program in the uh, toward the end of the 7 o'clock hour. J.M. and the AM, we continue to pray for the release of Gilad, Eyal, and Naftali. Those of you who are following our Nachum Siegel Network uh, feed on Twitter, uh, you'll see some of the photos that are being shared and posted uh, from the home of um, the Frankel family in Nofi alone, where they have set up a, a tent area where people are coming and grabbing a Tehillim and participating in prayer services and shiurim that are dedicated to the uh, well-being, please God, of Gilad, Eyal, and Naftali. And uh, we wish we had some time. The only update I saw this morning is that the, uh, uh, the members of the Arab community around uh, the Chevron area are getting frustrated with the uh, variety of, uh, with the number of raids that are taking place uh, by the IDF, by the Israeli Defense Forces. But um, Israel has been very strong in terms of uh, declaring that they will turn over every stone in order to gain information regarding the whereabouts of Gilad, Eyal, and Naftali. And I guess that uh, that's the price you pay. J.M. and the A.M., good morning, all. Uh, we are at the United Nations tomorrow. Malcolm Holmline in studio. He'll be taking your questions. Make sure to be tuned in for that. Today, a big day on our stream all day long at jmtheam.org, including uh, Daniel Gordon with a very interesting stunt show coming up after the live lunch at 1 o'clock. He will be doing his favorite country music songs between 1 and 2 o'clock and explaining its meaning and significance and why they're so important to him. Uh, during that program, 1 until 2, Eastern Time after the live lunch. Make sure to be tuned in right here at NSN, jmtheam.org. And don't forget, App Week will uh, begin next week. Uh, we'll kick it off on Monday morning, a little bit of a celebration for the brand-new NSN app. If it's something that you have at your at the ready, you should be uh, commenting on this morning's show, which you could do uh, just simply by uh, looking at the uh, homepage of the app as you tune into JM the AM. And so you can do that. You can comment on the app. And uh, uh, we suggest that if you um, that if you uh, uh, go ahead and uh, put any comments uh, on Facebook and Twitter regarding the app, use the hashtag NSN app. More coming up. It's JM and the AM live from the UN. Since I spoke of Moses 
That's uh, Adon Olam. You heard Eighth Day. Been a long time before that. Here we are on a Thursday morning broadcast, 6.33, 27 minutes before the hour, and I thank everybody for tuning in around the world. Uh, today we are at the uh, Talk Radio Day at the United Nations in New York City. We have special guests coming up who uh, we will meet. The U.N., of course, is a... Um, is a, uh, a very interesting venue to broadcast from, to say the least. And, in fact, uh, today when I got into the elevator at the United Nations, there are two languages that are spoken by the electronic elevator operator. And I believe it was French and then English. I believe we started with French and then went to English. And I thank Miriam L. Wallach, who was here very early this morning to coordinate things. And, of course, ZK, who's here and Stan in our studios, making us sound as brilliant as possible. And that's much appreciated, believe you me. I believe only once, although if I think very carefully, maybe it was, uh, maybe in fact it was twice, but uh, once or twice in the last three decades, we actually led a session of Tehillim on the air um, as part of my programming. I think once was right after 9-11. And was there ever another time that you recall? I can't recall any other time that we went ahead and, uh, and broadcasted and actually uh, conducted a Tehillim service. Today, we've decided it's going to be uh, an exception to the usual. Between uh, being here in this historic building where we pray that the uh, the people of Israel and the state of Israel are uh, dealt with properly uh, and um, add to the fact that Gilad, Ayala, and Naftali are still being held by the enemy as the uh, Jewish world and the world collectively continues to pray for their safe return, for their release, for their healthy return to their family. Between those two things, we've decided that after a morning chizuk today, after Rabbi Goldwasser presents, we are going to recite a, a chapter of Tehillim on these airways. We hope you will participate, and hopefully our little part in the uh, worldwide efforts to pray on behalf of Gilad, Eyal, and Naftali in this unique venue uh, will have a... Uh, a great effect. So join us for that coming up. JM and the AM will speak to some of the folks here at the uh, United Nations and plenty more happening between now and 9 a.m. Keep it on the app all day long so you can hear our stream at the brand new NSN app on your Android or iPhone. And uh, of course, uh, until 9 o'clock, keep it here at 91.1 FM, 90.1 FM in the Catskills, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial and around the world on the web, jmtheam.org. Sanissim, 
Shem and Ham are live from the United Nations. Whoever thought they'd hear those words. Uh, Shalshelas with Misha Asa. Uh, Miriam Alwalik is here. Good morning, Miriam. Good morning, sir. How are you? All right. Your feelings as you walked into this building and uh, knew that you were participating in the talk radio day here at the United Nations? I think it's pretty incredible. Um, it's exciting to be here, being part of the... The crew that is here this morning in this room, that is for sure. But also I think that if you and I had sat down two years ago, and it's almost two years ago, I know it's a day that you rue, <laughs> two years ago that that I started working as general manager. If you and I had sat down and said in the next two years we want to broadcast from the U.N., we want to broadcast from here, we want to be part of this, I don't think either one of us would have seen that in our future that quickly. So. That's probably accurate. Uh, for that alone, I thank you. <laughs> Mark Zomik is here at uh, JM in the AM. And nope, headset. There you go. And I thank Mark for uh, joining us this morning. You know that the show will be conducted in a very productive and coordinated fashion. If he is in the building, good morning, sir. Good morning, Malcolm. What are your feelings as you uh, sit on the third floor of the United Nations during talk radio day at the U.N.? There, you know, there, I've been to the U.N. since probably I'm in eighth grade. There's not much going on here, as everybody <laughs> talks about. It's pretty quiet. Yeah, early in the morning, huh? Oh, is that why? <laughs> a lot of interesting things. You know, this I'm sure this audience finds this uh, whole um, uh, this whole day fascinating because uh, uh, we know that the uh, United Nations always brings mixed reaction uh, to uh, those of us who are uh, always focused on the Middle East, who are always curious about um, what international what this international body has to say regarding Israel. So the, always a mixed reaction, but I do remind everybody that the original partition plan, which uh, resulted in the founding of the State of Israel, was uh, was uh, decided right here in November of 1947. And that was a, uh, that was a historic and uh, history-changing day for the Jewish people, no question about that. It is a JM the AM Thursday as we broadcast from the UN, and we, as we said, we have special guests who are going to be joining us all through the morning. The executive director at the United Nations Association is Mr. Chris Watley, and he is our first guest this morning here at JM the AM. A pleasure to meet you. Good morning, sir. Good morning, Nachum. It's a pleasure to be here with you. What is the United Nations Association? You bet. The United Nations Association was created even before the UN was founded. We, we've been around since 1943, and what we are is a grassroots network of Americans across the United States, almost 20,000 strong in 150 chapters, both on college campuses and communities. And basically, we're a network of Americans who support strong U.S. leadership within the UN. We think that the UN is in U.S. national interests, but also in the world's interests. And these are Americans who are connecting themselves to to the U.N. and connecting themselves to U.S. Uh, leadership in Congress to ensure that we play a strong role within the U.N. And therefore, you'd like to see the U.N. do what? We, we believe in the mission and, uh, and, and, and basic premise of the U.N. and, and the pillars of activity that it, uh, that it carries out in peace, in human rights, in development and humanitarian response. Uh, we think that, that, that the role it plays in those core pillars advance our own national interests, but also advance, advance our values as Americans. All right. I would think that, uh, and you mentioned college campuses, and obviously everyone always wants youth involved in any movement for good reason. 
the enthusiasm of youth and the idealism of youth goes a long way, to say the least, and could certainly affect change in this world. Um, but I wonder how, how, how many of the uh, members of the youth of this country are skeptical when it comes to these issues and, uh, and wonder about their involvement in UNA or in the UN in general is going to actually make a difference out there? Yeah, well, it's a really good question, Nachum. And actually, when you look at youth attitudes towards the UN, it is a really hopeful story. Oh, that's good. Overall, over 70% of Americans support U.S. engagement within the, uh, the UN. Uh, now, um, some of those Americans may wish that the UN was doing a little more of something or a little less of something, but over 70% of Americans believe that a strong U.S. role in the United Nations is in our interest. It's even higher for young Americans, mm-hmm. for, for millennials. And I think that, that when you look at the, uh, the young people today, global engagement, global citizenship, a sense that our connections to the rest of the world enhance us as opposed to subtract from us, that's just assumed. Uh, it's certainly assumed for my young kids, my 11-year-old and my 6-year-old, and I think even more so for the, for the 19-year-old who's in college today. You mentioned that you and uh, the organization in general are big supporters of the peacemaking role that the United Nations has. Certainly. For, for this audience, that's got to be one of the most sensitive and interesting topics. We speak to an audience every day that's very concerned about Israel, so the U.N. is like Certainly. This, such a vital, important building in the in the founding of the state of Israel and such a, a vital place where these debates, these important debates take place on a regular basis. And in addition to that, of course, you know, our youth very often is protesting against the U.N. if they're doing something that, you know, we, we see as challenging to Israel. So it, it must be a very delicate balance as you're trying to juggle the attitudes and activities of hundreds of countries in one place to, sure. to keep an even keel. Sure, and and uh, you know, as you mentioned, you know the the UN is an imperfect institution, and it is it is uh, understandable that constituencies around the world, young people here in the United States, young people in Israel, if they see something in the UN system that they have an issue with, whether that's the preponderance of resolutions, country-specific resolutions at the Human Rights Council that deal with Israel and and the unfortunate uh, uh, bias in many of those resolutions, uh, but at the same time, the UN is doing this fantastic work in its peace, its core peacemaking function in places that we all care about but perhaps don't take as much time to focus on. Give me one example where well, they've really made tremendous progress in that area. You bet. Um, I started my career running development assistance projects in sub-Saharan Africa. One of those places was in Liberia in the midst of the Civil War in the 1990s. Scary place. Um, I depended on peace, uh, peacekeeping for my personal safety. I saw the heroic work of UN frontline workers, be they uh, those who are providing logistic support to the peacekeepers, uh, the, the UNDP workers, uh, the uh, folks from UNICEF who are working both on, uh, on child health and, and education. Um, I saw the core work that the UN was doing, but it was a terrible time for Liberia. Liberia is in a much more hopeful place right now. It's a story of the success of UN peacekeeping, which is a completely different kind of peacekeeping role that it played 20 years ago. Uh, you, you have a, almost 120,000 peacekeepers around the world who are, who are providing stability in some of the most fragile, some of the most conflict-prone, some of the most dangerous corners of the world, and they're turning the corner in places like Liberia. And I'm, I'm so glad they're doing it. It's in our interest as Americans. And they're there in Mali playing a, a peace-making uh, role that has pushed an al-Qaeda affiliate out, an, an, an al-Qaeda affiliate that had killed Americans using Mali as a staging area. Uh, 
it's directly in our national interest, but it's a story that isn't told that often. You know, to the extent we think of peacekeeping, we might think of something from the early 80s or even going back into the 60s, maybe Cyprus, where you have a mission that's been there for forever and it's right. a fairly stable peace. And you or think, Unifil and Border Patrols and, oh, and well, all certainly, these controversial certainly, issues. Certainly, because you have, uh, you know, this, the most, uh, the longest serving peace, uh, peacekeeping missions are those small missions right. that are right around the, uh, um, Israel's borders. Right. And from our perspective, we always wonder if they're effective or, or harmful to the whole situation. And, and those are fair questions right. to ask. But as we ask them, let's also think about the 100,000 refugees that are at the airport right now in Bangui, Central African Republic, that are dependent for their personal safety on the deployment of the peacekeeping mission that's just been approved. I mean, we're, we're, in a, we're talking about a country that is on the tipping point of genocide. Right. Certainly an issue that resonates with the American people, with your listening audience, for with sure. all of us. And as you look at the, the, the role of the U.N. around the world and the role of peacekeeping, it's fair to ask questions about the effectiveness of various missions, including those around the borders of Israel. Correct. But let's focus on the core things it does, and let's focus on, on its successes in Liberia and the critical role that it, it's going to play in Central African Republic and advancing our values in, in protecting us against threats that emanate from those fragile ends of the world, but also in our or advancing our values by forestalling genocide in a place like Bangui. Chris Watley with us, Talk Radio Day at the U.N. He's from the United Nations Association. I'm so glad that, and I'm sure plenty of people listening are glad to hear you say that all these are legitimate questions and that it's a very complicated situation and nobody wants to be told that it's uh, uh, cut and dry. I think that's sometimes what uh, the reaction we get from our community is when resolutions come out, especially on the issue of human rights, and it seems to us like a decision has been made, that it's a good thing or a bad thing, and the argument on the other side has not always been heard. So it's nice to hear you say that. I, do th- I think the quote of this conversation might be about the imperfection, though, in this building, something that you and others who work here are willing to admit. We're not in a perfect system. The UN obviously was founded with with plenty of ideals and with a lot of idealism, but uh, it it is a very complicated world and obviously things don't go exactly according to plan. Uh, But nonetheless, we wish you continued success working with the United Nations Association. Thank you. It's my great pleasure to be with you. Is there a specific college campus? Or a specific area of this country that's more active than others that you would cite? Well, well I would say, say that uh, we certainly have a lot of chapters around here, around the New York area, because the UN is in your blood right. if, if you're in the greater New York area. But even in the middle of the country, you know, we've got uh, we've got chapters in Birmingham, Alabama. Can you imagine there are Americans who show up at public fairs in Birmingham, Alabama, to talk about the importance of the UN to U.S. national interests with concern about what's happening outside the United yes, States? Yes, without. Without doubt, and, and I and I think I have you know I have great confidence in the American people, and I and I think that that there are great people out there in Nebraska and Oklahoma, beyond the coast, who care about the role of the United States in the world, who recognize that the United Nations is in our interests, that advances our interests and our values, and the interests of our allies like Israel, maybe imperfect, and there are plenty of areas that we need to work more with the UN to improve, uh, but if we're not at the table. Then, then we're not going to make those improvements. And for us to be at the table, we need to have Americans in every corner of this country. You know, as long as every state has two senators, we need people in every corner of this country who are willing to take a sophisticated look at the UN and what it does to explore how it connects with their values, to, uh, 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 to point out imperfections when they see them, but also to ensure that we stay there at the table so that we can make it a better, a better institution, better international organization than it 
it would be otherwise. Before I let you go, um, could you tell us how the U.N. has helped with the Americans with Disability Act, the influence that this body has had when it comes uh, to help for those who are disabled in this country and, and the world? Well, I would say that in, in some ways it's the reverse in that, uh, uh, that the Americans for di- uh, the, the ADA, the American uh, um, Disability Act, uh, which, uh, which came into place in 1990, is really the, uh, the inspiration of so much of the content in the Disabilities Treaty. Uh, that Internationally. We, yeah, exactly. Uh, CRPD, the dis- uh, commonly referred to as the Disabilities Treaty, right. which we have not ratified in the United States, even though the content of that treaty, this UN treaty that would offer disability protections around the world to those who ratify it, would the treaty itself would make, call for no changes whatsoever in U.S. law in that we already have the gold standard of disability treatment within the United States. Right. Uh, and, you know, I've, I've personally dealt with this. I've, I, you know, working in places like, uh, like South Africa, I was working on a project there in the, in their political transition. We brought over a great, uh, Israeli legal scholar, unfortunately passed away, Daniel Elazar, who was providing, uh, uh advice on the constitution formation process in Israel. Well, he had suffered polio as a child. Mm-hmm. We had to get Mandela's security detachment to carry him into the parliament because there was no access into South African's parliament itself. Um, Something like the Disabilities Treaty would enable us to have access in places that we take for granted as Americans and would not violate our sovereignty, wouldn't cause any changes in U.S. law whatsoever, but would offer protections that we take for granted in other corners of the world that our veterans could benefit from and anyone suffering a disability could benefit from. Some good things happening here. Yes, without doubt. A real pleasure to meet you. Thank you, Chris Watley. It's my great pleasure. Thank you Thank you you very much. From the United Nations Association, Chris Watley is here. He's executive director of the group since the middle of 2013, and I thank you very much for being here today. That was great. Uh, we're at the UN. It's Talk Radio Day at the United Nations, and uh, we are here today meeting some very interesting people who do some very interesting work around the world, and I I loved some of the things he said about the United Nations relationship with Israel and, uh, and the perspective that many people should have, and I think that that may be one of the problems is that when there's a definitive uh, resolution, a definitive comment that comes out of the UN, uh, that is critical of Israel. I think often we get the uh, impression that there's no other side or no other perspective in this building. But as uh, Chris just told us, uh, he believes that is not the case. J.M. the A.M. getting set to wrap up hour number one on this uh, Thursday morning. Should we try our news from Israel? I guess we should try it. We'll do that coming up next. If you keep it here at 91.1 FM, 90.1 FM in the Catskills. Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial and around the world on the web, it's jmandtheam.org.
comes from uh, Baruch Abitan. We call that Adon Olam. Minute before 7 o'clock, it's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope. Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial. Around the world on the web, jmnam.org. We have it in the background? Hang on. Golly Tzal in the background. We'll do our news from Israel coming up. Plenty more guests happening in this uh, next hour. Talk about some of the things happening here at the United Nations on this talk radio day at the U.N., I want to thank Ellen Ratner and everybody from Talk Radio News Service, including Justin and Lucas, for uh, inviting us here, having us participate, and uh, for um, all their help in setting up this morning. Mark Zamek, Miriam Wallach, both here, and uh, ZK, of course, on premises, stand back in our studio, and I thank all of them. Tomorrow, Malcolm Honline, he'll be live in our studio, be taking your questions about everything going on in this crazy world of ours. That's tomorrow morning starting at 7.40 with the weekly update right here at JM in the AM. We keep in mind Gilad Eyal and Naftali, who, for whom we continue to pray. And uh, uh, it is rare that we participate or lead a Tehillim uh, recitation on this program. That will happen this morning at 7.30. We figured between this venue at the United Nations, where we continuously pray for Israel to be treated fairly, and with the situation going on in Israel with Gilad Eyal and Naftali, we figured today is the day that we should recite at least one chapter of Tehillim. And we'll do that at 7.35 this morning together. I hope you'll join us around the world for that right here at JM in the AM. Reminder, App Week begins next week with a whole bunch of, uh, whole bunch of prizes and celebrations, etc. And speaking of the app, uh, it, this is a perfect opportunity. If you have a comment about the Chris Watley interview or anything that we're doing today at the UN or anything about this program in general over the last couple of days, you can comment directly on the app, both on Android and iPhone. Uh, you'll see it on the home screen of the app, the NSN app. You'll see it on the home screen, an area where you can comment. We will see those, and we are very curious and anxious uh, to read your comments about what's going on. In terms of an update regarding public officials and our uh, suggestion, our very, very strong suggestion that they take more, take more of an active role in the, in the, um, in the fight for uh, Gilad, Eyal, and Naftali, we want to thank uh, New York City Controller Scott Stringer and those elected officials who gathered with him yesterday at 1 Center Street to bring the matter to everybody's attention and to express outrage over it. Galitzal, Israel Army Radio, 2 p.m. newscast for a Thursday is next. We say Boker Tov from JM and the AM. Galitzal, פרס נפגש בצהריים במשכנו עם הורי הנערים החטופים. הילדים באמת מתפסים יום ולילה בסמטאות בחגבי הסלע של חברון. ואני יודע שאין שום מניעה ולא תהיה לעשות את כל מה שרק אפשר כדי להגיע לרבנים ולהביא אותם הסערה בעקבות דבריו של הרב דוב ליאור שאמר כי הסיבה לחטיפה היא החקיקה האנטי-יהודית לדבריו של ממשלת ישראל בנו של הרב יאיר וחבר הכנסת אלעזר שטרן שיזם חוק להקלות בתהליך הגיור דיברו בתוכניתנו מצד שני עם יועז הנדל וספי עובדיה הרב ליאור לא אומר שהחטיפה קראה בגלל חוקים או מתקפת חוקים מה שהוא בא ואומר שזה אירוע שצריך בפן הפרטי וגם בפן הציבורי 
לעשות חשבון נפש, לראות מה אפשר לשפר במעשים. אני חושב שהאמירות האלה הן באמת חילול השם בעיניי. זה קשקוש מארץ הקשקושים, הוא לא מכיר את החוק, אני אומר לך. אני לא מגייר, ורבנים יגיירו שם, רק רבנים שלא מאמצים את שיטות הרב דוב ליאור, לשמחתנו יש כאלה. שרה לויד, בת 12, ואחיה ישי, בן 10, הם שני הילדים שנרצחו על ידי אביהם במושב ישרש. כך הותר כעת לפרסום. מעצרו של האב הוארך היום בשבוע. עורך דינו מטעם הסנגוריה הציבורית, רן אלון, אמר לכתבנו שמואל מוניץ, אבקש לשלוח אותו להסתכלות. החשוד להבנתי הוא שרוי בתוך עולמו הפנימי, קשה מאוד לתקשר איתו, קשה לקבל ממנו איזושהי גרסה סדורה. ההתרשמות שלי שמצבו מצריך בדיקה פסיכיאטרית. מעבר לכך, רק לאחר אם וכאשר יוגש כתב האישום, לאחר שאני אלמד את החומר כולו, נוכל לבדוק את הדברים לעומקם. ראש השב"כ לשעבר, אברהם שלום, הלך לעולמו בגיל 86. כתבנו טל אברהם. אברהם שלום כיהן כשש שנים כראש השב"כ, ונאלץ לפרוש מתפקידו בעקבות פרשת קו 300. שלום היה גם ראש אגף במוסד, ובין השאר היה סגן מפקד מבצע חטיפת אייכמן. הלווייתו תתקיים ביום ראשון. בעיראק אומרים שחמושי הארגון הסוני הדאעש המזוהה עם אל-קאעידה הוציאו להורג את השופט שגזר עונש מוות על סדאם חוסיין. כתבנו ג'קי חוגי. לפי ידיעות שטרם אושרו, עצרו אנשי הארגון את השופט הכורדי ראוף עבד אל-רחים ורצחו אותו כנקמה על העונש שגזר על נשיאם. השופט בן 73 הוא יליד העיירה חלבצ'ה שהותקפה בגז חרדל בידי כוחותיו של סדאם במלחמה עם איראן. אנשי דאעש הם סונים, קצינים וחיילים לשעבר בצבא סדאם, שפועלים להחזיר לעצמם את רסן השלטון. ספורט, גיא גודס, מונה למאמן מכבי תל אביב בכדורסל, עורך חדשות הספורט עידן קבלר. very, very much on this radio program, and uh, we are broadcasting right next door this morning. Imagine that. Boaz Paldi is here. Boaz is broadcast specialist at the United Nations Development Program. He has helped conceive and implement a broad video strategy and increase the UNDP's video capacity around the globe. Uh, but I must start with the fact that he was born in Israel and spent a good part of his early life in Kenya. Boker Tov, welcome to JM in the AM. Boker Tov, great to have you, it's great to be here. I appreciate that. At what age were you in Kenya? I, I, we, went, we moved to Kenya when I was about uh, three years old. From Yerushalayim. From Yerushalayim, and then we uh, spent a uh, good, good time there. I, I, left, uh, I left Israel when I was about 17. And How many languages do you speak? I speak five languages. Pretty cool. That must help in this building. <laughs> it does help. But it's, it's, uh, it's obscure languages. It's not the, uh, uh, not the languages that help here. So. You, you only can speak to those who are here like once a year. And exactly. Travel in and, exactly. You know, exactly. The, the, from the obscure places. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so what does this mean? You have to explain it to me. Uh, broad video strategy, broadcast specialist based here at the UN. What does all that mean? So basically, uh, I, I was hired into the United Nations Development Program to implement a, a, uh, a video uh, strategy for them and a, a video 
unit. So that means that we uh, we we go out and we make films, short films, long films um, about issues uh, that the United Nations deals with, the United Nations Development Program. We show what our programs do. Uh, uh, we we try and um, and. Uh, uh, Advocate for various issues through 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 social media and media, and then that's basically what what we do. But I, that's not my job right now. I'm, I work on uh, on campaigns and communication partnerships. I, my job has changed a little bit. And campaigns such as what would be a good example? Uh, we uh, you know. We're all looking at the uh, the climate summit that's coming up in September here in the United Nations. So right. we're working on various campaigns on on energy, on environment, on on climate. Uh, you know, we have a very uh, very uh, good campaign to engage with youth over climate uh, and and energy uh, using. Uh, uh, a, a soccer ball that uh, that when you play with it creates electricity, um, so, and of course this is not an energy solution for the world, but it's a way to show the world that energy can be can be uh, taken from anywhere. It can be taken from the sun, from the wind, and so there are there are sustainable solutions to to the energy issue, right. and so can then help with the climate change issue. What will that conference be like here? Is that going to be historic? Is it going to be a game changer? What's going to happen in I September? think so. I think it's going to be historic. I think it is going to be a game changer. I think it's one year before the Paris COP, which is where countries are going to actually have to sign up to uh, to a long-term agreement on, cli- on, on, on energy and on climate change. Um, so we're all waiting uh, for, that, for the Paris uh, conference. Um, but I think, you know, what we want to do here at the UN is galvanize. It's, it's galvanize the world opinion behind climate change, behind the need to mitigate, behind the need to really embrace uh, the, the the climate situation and 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 also show that there is solutions. There is it's not all glue, uh, doom and gloom. Um, there is there is things that we can do easily uh, to to create uh, to create a, a better world for for lack of uh, for lack of better words with my precious audience listening i have to ask this question does israel have a role in all this you know israel i think is quite good on 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 uh, on emissions i i don't think that they're uh, you know uh, they're not uh, they what's great about israel is that they're so innovative there's so there's so much innovation coming out of Israel all the time. So and 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 mitigation of climate change and adaptation to climate change. It's all about innovation. It's all about using the resources that you have in the right way. And Israel is in a very good place in that. It's just a, it's a, it's a it's a real innovation hub in the world. Interesting. Uh, Boaz Paldi is here as uh, United Nations Development Program, uh, United Nations Development Program. Um, the uh, and we talked about the conference, which, as you said, is going to uh, no doubt be a game changer. What's the most recent videos? I know that you're not working directly with that right now, but give us an example of videos that are created to help with which causes. Uh, we we uh, the most recent video that we uh, that we that we had uh, was is actually a, a, a PSA that we made, a public service right. announcement about about sustainable energy. Uh-huh. It's a very very nice uh, PSA um, that you can all go and uh, and and look at. It's uh, it's a www. Um, uh, uh, action for the, the number four or for uh, action for energy. So weather and climate has a big role here in this building. It has a big role here. You, it has a big role here in this because it affects the entire world. It affects the entire world. But but you, but what's interesting is that it affects the most vulnerable people first. So people in Ethiopia, people in 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 uh, in 
in Mozambique, people in Haiti, those are the people, the poorest people in the world get affected first by, by these changes that are happening. And what this building does is really try and work to help the, the most vulnerable people in the world, to help the people that live in poverty, to help them try and get out of poverty. And what we, what we are afraid of is that the gains that we've had over the last 15 years of getting people out of poverty will be reversed because of, because of various new challenges, including the climate change situation. So what we want to do is, is make sure that people can still progress out of poverty constantly that we can still move forward away from from this from from this abject poverty that so many people in the world live how long have you been with the UN I've been with the UN for now for nine years and in what capacity before this one I was a journalist before this for many many years that must be interesting it was very interesting I covered a lot of uh, a lot of very very interesting stories around the world a lot of conflict a lot of the, a lot of natural disasters a lot of human interest stories it's a, it was a it was a good time. Boaz <laughs> Paldi, a pleasure meeting you. Tadaraba. Tadaraba lachem. Tadaraba, thank you so much. More coming up. We're at UN Day here at the, I should say, Talk Radio Day at the United Nations. Plenty more happening if you keep it at JM in the AM.
from uh, Talk Radio Day at the UN, and one of the people who uh, has been an amazing help uh, for everybody who's at Talk Radio Day is Robert Skinner. Um, the uh, UN Foundation's Associate Director of their New York office, uh, Robert Skinner, welcome to JM in the AM. Great, great to be here, and thanks for joining us here at Talk Radio Day, our, uh, our eighth annual Talk Radio Day at the United Nations. I'll tell you, it's interesting, because uh, you wonder about the effectiveness of a day like this. I've already learned a lot in the first hour, frankly. Yeah, I, 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 well, I certainly hope it's effective, and I think it has been over time, or otherwise we'd be making a mistake to do it eight years in a row. <laughs> but you get my point. <laughs> uh, no, exa- exactly. We, we really feel like we're, you know, we're reaching uh, audiences that don't normally hear directly from United Nations officials, um, who you, know, are, you may pick up their news 
you know, obviously from you know a number of sources, in, you know, including your show, I'm sure, right. um, which is why you're joining us here. But uh, it's a great opportunity to you know to have these conversations with. I, I think that people don't really completely understand all the various uh, aspects of the work of the United Nations, and you get to hear some some various voices, and you know, and hear that uh, you know the the UN is all over the world. It's not just you know here in New York. They're you know helping people on the ground from you know Liberia to you know, to Asia, to all you know, all over the world, really. So it's uh, it's a good opportunity for for us to do that. Well, it's obvious, and I, I've said this a few times this morning that this this audience, because of our constant uh, concentration on Israel and everything happening in the Middle East, uh, always listens to the UN with a critical ear, always watches the UN with a critical eye, and therefore uh, today is rather enlightening because uh, uh, often we uh, you know we think things, especially when we hear about resolutions and statements, we think they're cut and dry, and there's been no debate, no considerations, no input. From you know, from other sides or other points of view, and, and it's obvious just from the uh, short time we're here today that that's not the case. This is a very involved and very complicated place. Yeah, it, it is, and I think again one of the reasons we like to do this is to be able to explain, you know, and maybe simplify some of the complicated aspects of of the United Nations. I mean. You know, as you said, a lot of the news that comes out of here is what's happening in the Security Council, right. what the member states are doing, the debates, uh, you know, the high-level diplomatic discussions that are taking place between the, you know, the, the global powers around issues, and um, you know, really, a lot of what the UN itself, the, the UN, you know, staff, and from the Secretary General on down, is focused on actually doing the work um, on the ground around the world, you know, providing. You know, food in in Syria. I'm trying to manage a situation in, in Iraq right now, as uh, you know, as, as there's a new flow of refugees in an already, you know, troubled area. You know, trying to deal with the humanitarian crisis in the Central African Republic. Um, trying to quell the uh, the fighting in South Sudan. So, you know, the really it's the United Nations as we think about it. The United Nations Foundation is more about what the the staff and the peacekeepers and and the other members of the community from the United Nations Development Program to the World Food Program um, to the Office for the Coordination for Humanitarian Affairs, what they're doing out there on the ground to, to save lives and improve lives um, you know, is what we think about. You know, in the situation in Iraq, and anybody who watches the news closely knows that it's a, a disaster at the moment and there's so much work to be done. But one of the things I learned yesterday is that in Jordan, uh, refugees are showing up by the thousands uh, because of the different situations that are going on uh, you know, with Jordan's neighbors. And that, I assume, is something that the U.N. is watching very closely and is involved with to help out. No, absolutely. Um, you know, the, all the, the, the bordering nations right. around Syria and Iraq have, have taken on you know, huge numbers uh, of refugees coming across the borders uh, from those two countries. And, um, you know, the, the U.N.'s refugee agency, um, is is helping to coordinate all the the efforts around you know getting those people housed, getting them food. You know, again, I referenced the World Food Program earlier. I mean, they're in charge of making sure that there there is is food in those camps when they get there. You've got you know UNICEF trying to get schools up and running for all the all the children that are showing up there. We know which is really the saddest aspect of you know any of these humanitarian crises is trying to you know keep life together for the for the kids. You know, for the children that show up and you know are completely displaced and disoriented and trying to get 
get them some aspect of normalcy when they when they get to the camps, you know. And uh, and again, the UN's uh, High Commission for Refugees is, is really you know working to make sure that uh, that they're they're some sort of stability when they arrive in these places, and that they can somehow have a, a, a bit of a normal life when they arrive. Certainly not normal. That's you know right. exaggerating what the reality of it. But you know, getting them some some semblance of uh, the ability to sort of survive initially, and then you know settle in, and then hopefully eventually you know go back home. There is so much work to be done. Do you have a uh, contingent of students, volunteers, especially because we talk about the New York office, I'm speaking to primarily a New York, New Jersey audience. I mean, right. I'm sure there are young people out there, especially from our community, who've never considered the possibility of getting involved in the United Nations, who may say to themselves this morning that this sounds intriguing. What do the young people do who want to get involved in your efforts? Well, well, well one way to get involved is I, I think you talked with my colleague Chris Swatley right. a bit earlier, and uh, the United Nations Association of the, of the USA is one way to get involved. Um, and certainly if people are interested in learning about the U.N., um, there are numbers of model U.N. programs to be involved with uh, in, in high schools. Some of them are spectacular. And they do really interesting work around, you know, giving the opportunity to actually negotiate, kind of see how the U.N. operates, but also just learn a lot about the U.N. And, um, you know, we have a number of campaigns at the United Nations Foundation that, uh, you know, students can get involved in. We work on delivering insecticide-treated bed nets for to prevent malaria in right. Africa in a, in a program called Nothing But Nets. I believe that uh, some people, some youngsters from our community were involved with that effort, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm sure they, yeah. That, they, that they were because it's an effort that really appeals to young people because right. it's a... You know, it's one of those things that's, uh, you can easily understand it. You know, a, a one bed net, it's $10. Correct. Put it over a family, you save lives. It's a very simple and, and direct way to help, and you can you know, see the impact immediately. The model UNs in the yeshiva community, I can tell you, are spectacular. Some of them get amazing accolades, and I'm sure I'm sure you're glad to hear that. Yeah, I, I'm happy to hear that. <laughs> Any time I hear about students involved in the model UN and learning about what happens here at the UN, we're encouraged. I mean, that's what, that's what we're all about at the UN Foundation is trying to, you know, engage people the work of the UN and you know do events like this so we can you know talk you know talk directly to audiences and, and talk about the United Nations. Robert Skinner, uh, associate director of the New York office at the UNA, thank you so much for having us here today and for joining me on the air. All right, you know, you're welcome. It's my pleasure and thank again, thank you for joining us. It's Appreciate been a, been that. A pleasure talking to you. Twenty five minutes after the hour, it's JM in the AM. I want to remind everybody that uh, our app is uh, up and running. If you have a comment about uh, this program, all you got to do is go to the NSN app. On uh, your Android or on your uh, on your iPhone, all you gotta do is go to the app, and you have an opportunity right there to uh, to literally comment about this show as we speak. Rabbi Goldwasser is going to be joining us, and we are going to recite a chapter of Tehillim. We decided to do that this morning. Number one, because Gilad, Eyal, and Naftali are still being held by the enemy, and secondly, we are in a building where we continuously pray and hope that uh, Israel's and the world's best interests will always be at the forefront. More coming up. This is JM in the AM. Malchus, 
7.30 in the morning on this uh, Thursday from Talk Radio Day at the United Nations, and a uh, chapter of Tehillim is coming up, something we rarely have done during our 30 years, but uh, because we are at the UN today, we continuously pray for their, um, for their strength in dealing with this world, and specifically with the State of Israel, and because the boys are still being held, Gilad, Eyal, and Naftali are still being held, that will be coming up right after by Goldwasser a chapter of Tehillim right here at JM in the AM. I do want to remind everybody you can comment on this radio program and everything we do by going to the app, the NSN app, on uh, your iPhone or Android. Make sure you have the NSN app. And I do remind you that Malcolm Holmline joins us tomorrow morning with your questions, 740 tomorrow morning in studio, about the news of the day and all the things that are happening right here at JM in the AM. We're at the United Nations. Rabbi David Goldwasser's words, here is Rabbi David Goldwasser with Morning Chizuk. One of the chapters of Tillam that people throughout the world are reciting in unity is Kapitel Kuf Lamed, 
Shramalos Mima Makim. We call out to you from the depths. We are talking about two types of depths. One is the depth of the Shrinin Golos. The second is the depth of Klal Yisrael in Golos. Mima Makim means that we have reached such a depth that we need to call out to Hashem with all of our might. As the Rambam says in Hilchostanis, at a time of tsar, we call out to Hashem and we cry from the depths of our heart. I believe that this parak is so renowned. The reason is because it contains all the principles that one must be aware of at a time of challenge. Hashem Shima Vakoli. Hashem, hear my voice, my supplications. It means that we realize the situation that we're in and we plead as an Evid supplicates to his master, asking for pure rachamim, for mercy at this time. Imavonos tishmorka. If Hashem would take into account our averus, then who would be able to stand? This is founded on the principle of ein yisurin b'loy avon, that there is no pain without transgression. We realize that the things happening in the world is a result of Averus. The root of all evil is because of iniquity. At this time, we are compelled to engage in some deeper thinking, to understand our responsibility to do tshuva, to repent, and come closer to Hashem. This is as the Ramchal explains, that there is a Neshama Klolis, a general soul, and a Neshama Pratis, a specific soul. The Neshama Pratis is the neshama within each and every one of us. The neshama klalis is the general neshama of Klal Yisrael. When Klal Yisrael is judged, we realize that our destinies are inextricably bound. Because of this, we understand that it is not something that's happening to three families or three young men, but it is a situation that each and every one of us is experiencing. This underscores that Hashem is merciful and gracious. He extends a hand to those who have done wrong. We know that Hashem is the only one to whom we can turn for pardon and forgiveness. We hope to Hashem, no matter how difficult and challenging a situation is, no matter what the odds are, we have full faith and trust in Hashem. Rabbi Israel Salanter said, Kol zaman sha'adam chai, yesh lo tikva. As long as a person lives, he has hope. Nafshi la shemishom Our nefesh waits for the morning. This is an allusion to the gula shalema, the dawn of a new era. Yachel Yisrael el Hashem. Hashem wishes to redeem us from the hands of our enemies. Like it says, Peroikyas anoch, Redeem your nation from the mouth of the lion. We trust in Hashem that He will redeem us from our wrongdoings, which will clear the path for the Yeshua, for for the news which will cause the entire world to celebrate. This has been Rabbi David Goldwasser bringing you Morning Chizik. I want to thank Rabbi Goldwasser for concentrating on Tehillim chapter 130.
as we continue to pray for the release of uh, Gilad Ayal and Naftali. Um, we, which is a, this is unusual for us, but today we're doing it. We are going to recite uh, chapter 121. We invite everybody around the world to participate with us. Hopefully the power of prayer will not only bring Gilad Ayal and Naftali safely back to their homes as soon as possible, but in addition to that, we are at the United Nations today where we continuously pray that the, uh, the interests of the United States and Israel are always uh, sought after and are uh, considered greatly uh, on every important day that happens in this building. We're at Talk Radio Day at the United Nations. Please keep that in mind as we say this chapter of Tehillim. And, of course, Gilad, Eyal, and Naftali, keep them in mind as we recite chapter 121. And please participate around the world with us at this time. Shir Lamalos, Esa Enai El Hehorim, Meayin Yavo Ezri, Ezri Meim Adonai, Osei Shamayim Voretz, Ayitain Lamotraglecha, Al Yonum Shomrecha, Hine Lo Yonum Loishan, Shomer Yisrael, Adonai Shomrecha, Adonai Tzilcha, Al Yad Yeminecha, Yomom Hashemesh Loyakeka, Vioreach Baloila, Adonai Shmor Homikora, Yishmor Esnafshecha, a song of ascents. I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. Let us hope, in fact, that our uh, 
Our prayers are answered, and Gilada, Yal, and Naftali are returned safely to their homes ASAP. We're here at the United Nations, a, uh, a building that we focus on very often, and uh, today we get to meet on this UN uh, and this talk radio day at the United Nations. Some very interesting people. Flora Sutherland is with us. Uh, Flora from the United Nations Mine Action Service joined the UN Mine Action Service back in 08. Spent three years in Afghanistan. She was responsible for raising awareness and support for the country's landmine clearance program. An honor to have you here at the show. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you. Uh, this has got to be one of the most uh, high-profile international topics of the last, I don't know, many decades. And these are, uh, I, I guess, any uh, area of this globe that has gone through any significant war uh, is one that would be suffering from a landmine problem in its aftermath, correct? Um, yeah, landmines are an issue for many conflicts, although now they're really going down in how much they're used, which is a great success of the International Mine Ban Treaty. However, even if landmines are not used in a conflict, anything that is dropped on the ground or fired that doesn't explode on impact, which is approximately 10% of, of most explosives, it remains dangerous. So we talk about explosive remnants of war, which are all the little bits of explosives that are left behind from, from rockets and other heavy weapons, that if a child comes across them, they can explode and kill them or injure them. And actually they, in Afghanistan, they are now injuring and killing more than landmines. So there's always like a big challenge so after they, any war. So they may not be landmines, they act like landmines. Exactly. Um, and you spent all this time in Afghanistan. Is that one of the areas of the world that is suffering the most from this? Um, I mean, who, who, what other countries, not to, not to uh, minimize the importance of it by listing them like this, but what other countries are like Afghanistan suffering from this problem? Um, well, actually, Colombia, um, where we also have a program, is the, has the second highest number of um, victims from landmines. And... Um, so, so, Columbia, South America? Yeah. yeah. We, we don't usually associate, the common man doesn't usually associate landmines with that area of the world. Yeah, no, I mean, that, they, they are definitely um, very badly affected. And um, I mean, I'm, they have now just started in the last year. One of the big successes of the program is they've actually started... Um, clearance, uh, civilian clearance. So rather than it being part of a military activity, some of the demining charities, the international ones that we work with, have actually started destroying landmines in Colombia. So that's been a fantastic highlight for us over the last year. And in Afghanistan specifically, where you spent all that time? Yeah, I mean, in Afghanistan, the clearance, it's the worst affected in the world. It's, I mean, in... In connection to that, it's also the largest landmine right. clearance program in the world. And huge, huge, huge progress has been made. So since 2002 to, to now, the number of um, victims on a monthly basis is two-thirds less. Without the UN, would there be any landmine clearance in this world? Have they <laughs> been at the forefront of this whole effort and are essentially responsible for the teams that go out at this point? Um, there are a lot of people that we work, a lot of different partners that we work together with, whether it's national authorities and governments right, or governments international role, charities. Right. One, of, one of the key roles that we have as, as UNMAS, as the United Nations, is to, to coordinate that work. So one of the things we did in Afghanistan was a large survey to identify where the minefields were, but more importantly, what were the priorities? There's so much work to be done. Where do you start? So we actually used data to identify where landmines were killing the most people, where they were blocking the most agriculture, blocking access to schools, and then we would focus the efforts there so that um, best use was made of the resources we had. 
Uh, we know, many of us know about and read about the role that Lady Diana had in, in bringing this uh, to the attention of the world. Is there anybody today that has taken on the mantle? Anybody, I don't know, from government, from Hollywood, from any high-profile place that has taken on the mission that she led so strongly? Yeah, I mean, certainly she, she had a, a unique role, and, and after her death, the the institution of the, the mine ban treaty was, was a huge landmark right. in the progress towards eliminating landmines. Um, her son, Prince Harry, has actually become quite active and recently went to Angola to raise awareness there. Um, but uh, it's, you know, it's, it's a different, different issues now. Are we heading toward a mine-free world, or that may be impossible? We don't believe it's impossible. <laughs> we literally We're can get to a point. We're focused on the goal. It's absolutely true. I mean, it ha- it's, it's a big goal, and it has to be done community by community, province by province, country by country. But by uh, 2023, it's possible for Afghanistan to be mine-free. And if it's possible in Afghanistan, it's possible anywhere. Wow. Uh, well, an honor to meet you. Flora Sutherland, you and everybody around you does amazing work. Uh, you're saving a lot of lives, and I'm sure you know that. Um, I'm a very small part of saving lives, but it certainly um, keeps us going. <laughs> thank you for joining us here today. Great. Thank you. Uh, Senior th- uh, Program Coordinator of the United Nations Mine Action Service, Flora Sutherland here at JM in the AM. More coming up from Talk Radio Day at the UN. Uh, we are right next door to the Security Council on the third floor of the United Nations in New York City. And I thank you for joining us at JM in the AM. Don't forget that Miriam Al-Wallach, who's right here, so we'll ask her, has a very interesting program coming up this morning, right after Charlie Harari. Charlie Harari will be on between 9 and 10 on the Nahum Siegel Network. And then Miriam Al-Wallach, good morning. Good morning, sir. Um, I have two guests today. First of all, it's not a That's Life business as usual. I do play three different songs that speak to me during this time of tragedy and unity and um, in solidarity, obviously, with the families in Israel, um, keeping the boys in mind. But uh, Rush, <laughs> Ruchi Shoritz, or Rochelle Shoritz, the founder and executive director of Sharsheret, joins me on the air, as does Robbie Berman, mm. who is the founder and director of HODE, the Halachic Organ Donors Society. So they both have new and interesting information to share with the audience. All right, that's happening between uh, 10 and 11 this morning, right after Charlie Harari <coughs> and the Book of Life. At the Nahum Siegel Network, keep it at jmnam.org all day long. Plenty more coming up from the United Nations. Keep it here at JM and the AM.
We are live at Talk Radio Day at the United Nations in New York City, right next to the Security Council on the third floor of this historic building, where in November of 1947, the partition plan led to what we know today, uh, eventually, as the uh, beloved State of Israel. JM in the AM with us is Joshua Cooper. Uh, Joshua Cooper from the uh, Leo Nevis Human Rights Task Force, an advocacy group of distinguished citizens knowledgeable and vitally concerned about international human rights 
and the role of the UN and the US in protecting those rights. It is a pleasure to welcome you to JM in the AM. Good morning. Aloha. It's nice to be here. How long have you been with the UN? I've actually been there for uh, 15 years now. Wow. And as I said to you off the air, when it comes to the issue of human rights, this audience is uh, always skeptical about what the UN does or has to say, so I figured we'd have an opportunity to speak about that this morning. Um, it, it seems, and again, to the casual observer, that when it comes to uh, different human rights violations around the world, whether it's the treatment of women uh, or others in so many different types of situations, that often the UN is silent. And when it comes to more democratic countries and mistakes or maybe misimpressions or whatever word you want to use that they may be involved with, that they're much more active. How would you respond to that whole? Well, actually, I'm here this week. Uh participating in two things, the Open Working Group on Sustainable Development Goals that's looking for the new future for all countries, and also here for the UN World Conference on Indigenous Peoples. So that's actually looking at the people who have been marginalized for centuries, whose ways of life have been destroyed with colonization, and then more importantly looking at what's the ways to move forward. So there's a declaration on the rights of indigenous peoples, and that's been a tool then to work toward trying to come up with ways that people can be on a path towards peace. So if you're looking at probably some of the worst conditions in the world and you look at indigenous peoples who have survived centuries of colonization coming forward and saying we want to use not only direct action but diplomacy and dialogue to move forward, you can actually see that it is a positive place where things can be worked out. So it's been an amazing week. There will actually be a world conference on September 22nd and 23rd, but still many countries are a little concerned about the past and not sure if they want to bring everything up. So it is amazing to see what would happen just yesterday. There actually is language for a zero draft, and there actually will be a giant conference September 22nd and 23rd here. Right, so. but, but the countries are not just concerned about the past and that being brought up. I'm more concerned that certain countries need to bring up what's happening at the present and how they you know, have not adjusted to the way the world operates in 2014 and are not making the necessary changes to really bring the start of human rights and freedom to their citizens. Well, I think there's one good mechanism that I've been involved with directly. is the, It's called the Universal Periodic Review, and every country is being reviewed equally. And I'm actually the co-chair for the U.S. Human Rights Network, and I'm leading the talk here. And the idea of the UPR is that every country should have their human rights record reviewed, and more importantly, it starts with the people in the country to make sure their voice is heard in societies where they're not allowed to. So the exciting thing what we've been able to do so far is for some reason, every country's participated for the first time ever. Every U.N. nation. Every U.N. nation. So the UPR is great that way. And what it is is most people are always focusing on what's Wall Street doing today and not thinking about what we want out of the world and what we can do to do that. And with the Universal Periodic Review, I'm actually organizing tomorrow in Boston. We're doing a Universal Periodic Review consultation. Next week, I'm doing one with youth in Washington, D.C., about what youth want in this country. And then at the end, we're in San Francisco with educators. Like, what do we need to teach? Human rights education, would that be valuable to have that preventative approach in education? So I'm an educator. I actually teach at the University of Hawaii as well. And my thing is, you know, showing the next generation what they can possibly do and how to participate. Joshua Cooper is here. Uh, Can you reveal a country that hasn't done well in that review? Uh, in the past, I don't want to ask you who won't do all this time around. Right. That wouldn't be fair. No, diplomacy. But- I mean, the interesting thing is, uh, I can say something, is because I was helping out the last time. Actually, the United States had the most recommendations, 228. But the really good thing about About, the, about U.S. and about their the issues. About the U.S. and their issues. And the way they behave with right. human rights. And the good news, though, is if you, you look beyond just a 228, 
I know because we actually met with people around the country. Right. There were concerns that people in the country had that they wrote and brought up. So, you know, that's the story is that people actually were involved in democracy, talking about what's going on and saying what they want next. So that was the exciting part. And then now, of course, is how do we make those changes and how do we improve? So it's just a, every four and a half years a conversation in our community all the way to the country level of what can we do better and what do people want. And that's really what democracy should be. The scary part is, you know, we don't have enough people participating in democracy and everybody's just focusing on trying to survive and looking yeah. at other things or being distracted yeah. by... But, but it does seem like tens of countries find it irrelevant, the review. Like, are not really concerned about how they do or don't do during that review, right? That's exciting. Uh, one thing we did do was, you know, every country is being reviewed. So for China, we worked with the Uyghurs and the Tibetans and put their issue front and center right. for 48 hours, which would have never been the case. And we actually brought people whose rights were being impacted to the UN to speak for themselves. So... This UPR actually provides a three-and-a-half-hour review for every country, and it's webcast. So that's something new. No one sees their country grilled before and sees their voice being brought forward. So it's an exciting process, and it's small, but, you know, it's not a world court of human rights, but it's a beginning drop. It's some of the things that Truman talked about at the end when they created the U.N. Charter in 1945 in San Francisco. Um uh, Joshua Cooper is here We're talking about uh, human rights and the United Nations. Um, I mentioned to you that this audience is very concerned about Israel and the way that it's, uh, it sometimes seems to be treated on this issue of human rights. Uh, from your perspective, are they being treated unfairly, differently? Are they subject to the same reviews, conditions, and suggestions as any other country would be? You know, I think if you really look at the UN and you follow the Human Rights Council and different things, that was a new body that was created. Uh, that's an example of the U.S. not engaging. When we didn't engage and actually let the membership go from the commission on 54 down to 47 right. in the Human Rights Council, right. we gave up certain seats. And now a majority of people can vote anywhere in the world, of course, if you go with that, and could bring issues forward. So Israel was brought up a lot of times because of the vote that could be done. Right. And sometimes Israel took actions on the opening day of a council meeting, which isn't a good plan. You know, so it's both sides. You know, if I was they were a little the overly aggressive <laughs> on on a day of an opening of a council right. session. So I was just like, really? You did it any other day? Well, no one would have been in Geneva. What, they anticipated what might have happened. Right. You know, so I was like, today of all the days, organize another day for that action. So that happened, and that did bring up a special session that didn't have to be, but right. when you do it on that day. So well, that we agree on. Uh, you work closely with Amnesty International. I do actually. I'm on their. Uh, I'm the co-chair and organizer, the legislative coordinator for Hawaii. Are they doing different work than your organization or yeah, expanded actually, work? Yeah, I wear a lot of hats, actually. I'm fortunate. Uh, Amnesty, I'm their legislative coordinator and then the area coordinator for Hawaii. Amnesty is doing a really good job now focusing on domestic issues. They're going to be looking even at gun violence in the United States in the future. And uh, So they're expanding their scope. Yeah. And I think that's positive. That they also, I was fortunate enough to be the one that wrote a resolution at just the Hawaii level that then went to the Los Angeles and then went to the national. And we even created a task force on indigenous people that connected environment and human rights issues and looked at protecting the earth and looking at, in a lot of places, the people who are trying to stand up for the environment are usually living in a community where they don't respect human rights either so the environment's destroyed and there's peoples who stand up for that are also lives are threatened well i really appreciate you joining us this morning if human rights is the goal then 
Absolutely. One, one, one must certainly recognize the work you're doing. Thank Aloha. you, Joshua Cooper. It's a pleasure Aloha to, meet to you. you. Great meeting you. Pleasure. See you in, see in Honolulu, as they say. Hopefully. Eight o'clock in the morning on a Thursday. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard and listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial. Around the world on the web, jmtheam.org. We've met a lot of very interesting people here today. It's Talk Radio Day at the United Nations. And I want to thank everybody from Talk Radio News Service and from everybody at the U.N. who has been helpful to us today, uh, making sure that we're able to uh, broadcast from here and really enjoying some uh, very interesting guests throughout the entire morning. Malcolm Holmline tomorrow, Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents. He'll be live in studio taking your phone calls. We continue to pray for the release of Gilad Eyal and Naftali. The enemy continues to uh, hold them, and those government officials, those public officials, those Jewish community and organizational leaders who have been out there fighting for their release, um, and kudos to Scott Stringer and everybody who was part of his delegation yesterday at One Center Street. Uh, we ask that you keep everybody, all three of the uh, kidnapped boys, in mind at this time. It's JM in the AM. Here's Baruch Levine. Man, she never 
It's a Thursday morning, and we're at uh, Talk Radio Day at the United Nations here in New York City. And um, on Radio Row with some very interesting guests all through the morning, meeting a lot of interesting people who do some great work. Uh, Bettina Lucia is here. Bettina is um, the chief spokesperson for North America for the World Food Program. She's uh, been in this position, or actually I should say has, she's joined the WFP, the World Food Program, back in 2004 has worked in many crisis areas of this globe um, uh, to uh, help secure food for those in need. Bettina, welcome to JM in the AM. Thank you so much for having me. It's well, great that you are here. I appreciate that. It's an honor to speak to you. Uh, you know, I, I come from a people that's uh, always emphasizing charitable deeds. And what could be more charitable than distributing food to the needy around the world? I know. And it makes such a huge difference, you know. WFP works in like 75 countries. Last year we helped almost 100 million people. And it's so important, especially important to help little kids. I brought you something here. Uh, some, this is a peanut-based special food um, that we give little kids. There's nothing more important than taking care of little babies when they're still in the womb and when they're first born and in the first couple of years. If a child doesn't get good, healthy, nutritious food in the first two years, they will never later catch up. You know, their brains won't develop the same way, their bones, they can't concentrate later in school. If you invest in a child's nutrition and good, healthy food, it's the best investment you can do for the long run. What is that investment now from the United Nations? It must be uh, immense, this yeah. type of commitment that they yeah. have in all these countries around the world. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's not only school meals or, or special meals for little kids is, is part of it, but also all of the trouble spots of the world. You know, we are in Syria... Uh, we are helping in Iraq now, we are in Darfur, we are in the Central African Republic, all of these trouble spots. Um, the World Food Program not only brings food, but we also bring all of the aid supplies for the rest of the aid organizations, making sure that aid workers can fly to, to places where they normally couldn't drive anymore, uh, flying in, in equipment for everybody. Uh, WFP is a voluntarily funded organization, which means we constantly have to fundraise. Uh, Syria alone, we need to raise $41 million a week. Can you imagine $41 million a week just to do that? And our guys and gals are doing amazing work there. Um, you know, they've, they've been ambushed. They've been taken hostage. They keep on going. They feed 4 million Syrians. You know, and those are the people like you and I. 
Um, that is often something that we forget, that it's not people somewhere out there, but it's people like you and I, radio hosts, doctors, uh, people that had fled war, and, and all they want is take care of their families. How do you describe, and uh, this audience or any American audience would probably fall into this category, to people that are really not familiar what it means to starve? Uh, we have we have it all in this country, we obviously do. some more than others, but you know what I mean. I mean, yeah. thank God most people have their basic needs yeah. uh, when it comes to uh, nutrition. Uh, how would you describe what you've seen around the world? How would you convey to the youngsters tuned in right now what it really means to starve? Somebody in in Haiti once said, "To be hungry feels as if you have bleach in your stomach. It hurts that much." You know, they're not alert and, and uh, like you and I, they can't discuss the important things. It's really hurting. It's painful. They are smaller than your kids or my kids. Um, their bones don't develop how this, but the most important thing, it really is painful. It hurts. And it's the most basic thing. And it's so easy to help. You know, if there's a kid out there, all the kids out there listening to me, it takes 25 cents a day to feed a kid in school. If I go to Starbucks here in New York and get a fancy cup of cappuccino for like five bucks, I can feed a kid in Africa for five bucks for a month, for a month, for five dollars. So if you want to help, go to WFP, World Food Program, WFP.org, and make a small donation. You know, do a bake sale or something. You can change somebody else's life. Does it frustrate you when you see people buying five-dollar cups of coffee? No, it doesn't, because uh, there's no point, because I want to tell people... Buy your $5 cup of cappuccino and then help. Right. You do both. You know, guilt trip doesn't work. What we have to do is there are solutions out there. They're easy. We do the hard work. You can do the easy part. And, you know, and there are solutions out there. What we dream of is a world with zero hunger. You know, and we know what we have to do. The tools are out there, solutions are there, but we have to get to it. We have to be optimistic about it. I have a friend who's quite concerned about what's going on in the South Sudan. How would you evaluate the situation in terms of starvation there? Tough, really, really tough. You know, because what we were planning to do was bring food to the people before the rainy season starts. They've run out of food, um, but because of the violence there... We couldn't do it. So now we had to do airdrops, meaning we send big planes there. We throw the food out of the planes. That sounds more dangerous than it is. It's, right. it's well organized. You know, nobody gets hit. Uh, right. uh, we know how to aim right and, and how to distribute the food. The frustrating thing is, which is what we see in so many parts around the world, this is a man-made disaster. You know, men have created this crisis. This is not a natural disaster or something. It's, it's combined. It sounds like a politically created disaster. Like often it is. Right. Yeah, and that's the hard. That's the hard thing that there's so much effort has been made to help the people, and then a crisis blows up, and then we have to come in again, and we have to do much, much more than we were originally planning to do. And and you know, there's not much media attention on South Sudan. We are occupied in this country with other issues. That's the problem. We have so many crises nowadays, one after another, where we have to help. You know, Central African Republic, South Sudan, Darfur keeps on going on, Syria is going on, now Iraq is blowing up. And, and forgotten is, and we do 
huge aid operations all of these places but it's forgotten that there are many you know women and children in some places where there's never a TV camera who are going hungry who need help too and we had to cut back on some of these programs because we just simply don't get the money to do it governments are really stretched you know there's so much happening in the world now it needs so much help but governments are running out of money. Well, as I said earlier, uh, what better way to help somebody than to feed them? And you're doing, I know. You're doing some incredible charitable work. And I know you're not frustrated by those who are spending $5 at Starbucks, but nonetheless, before we let you go, could, could you address all of us and tell us what we should be remembering about how lucky we are when we sit down to lunch and dinner today and, and have an American-type yes. meal? Because, again, not to make anyone feel guilty, but we should all realize that that's not what's happening yes. everywhere in the world. You know, I get goosebumps. I'm not kidding. I get goosebumps when you say that. You know, what you and I have here, all we want is that our families are safe, that we take care of them, that we come together and have a meal. That's what we want to give to other people around the world. Right. They are safe. They can feed their kids. They can just be together and and you and know. It's be not safe. the case in, in hundreds of millions of cases. No, no. That's what I not. think. That, that that's the enormity that I think is sometimes mm-hmm. lost on us. We are the exception. Yeah, the, the, we are. The, the the hundreds of millions out there are are in dire situations yeah. and are, are in need of help. And and they, we can help. You know, we just sometimes just need the money and and then in crazy places like Syria, you know, our aid workers need to be safe. They need to be able to go everywhere. They're being, you know, shot at from all sides, and that has to stop, too. Uh, Bettina Lucia, she's chief spokesperson for the World Food Program. Just one of the good things that emanates from this building, correct? Yes, we try really hard. <laughs> a pleasure meeting you and an honor meeting you. It was an honor meeting you. Thank you Thank very you. much. I appreciate Thank that. You. Uh, more coming up. It's JM in the AM on this Thursday morning as we continue at 91.1 FM, 90.1 FM in the Catskills, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial, around the world on the web, jmtheam.org. I want to remind you, Malcolm Homeline tomorrow with your questions live in studio starting at 7.40 tomorrow morning. And don't forget, you can comment on the brand-new app right now. If you head to our app, the NSN Android or iPhone app, you can comment on what's happening on this radio program right now. You'll see it on the home page of the app. It'll say, add a comment. Plenty more coming up from Talk Radio Day at the U.N. This is JM in the AM.
done by Simcha Liner. Mark Zamek is here. He's uh, officially producing our show this morning, and I thank him. Good morning, Mark. Good morning, Nahum. You want to take a, a photo uh, in the Security Council or General Assembly? Well, pr- preferably in front of the green wall that everybody recognizes. That was That's right. to add to our White House and Senate collection. What would be more precious to you, the MetLife Stadium photo at the podium or the uh, United Nations? Which one? <laughs> Interesting. Actually, the MetLife picture... On the Jumbotron. Oh, that was good. That's a good picture. Goes back a couple of years already. We're coming up on two years since the CMS shots, right? That's it. Another 700 blood under my belt. Unbelievable. Kolakavo to you and everybody who just finished a Masech then has moved on to another one as yes. of last week. I actually have one Daphne Rosh Hashanah that's an errant. Uh, I 
Well, go play it. What's the whole thing? Well, I'm keeping it. For, keep it for a CM. Nine days. Nine days. Oh, that whole sports bar in Teaneck. I'm thinking about uh, oh, doing offering my services there during the nine days. <laughs> <laughs> What's the update there? Now that you mention it, I'm sure people I are don't curious. Know, but it's, it's, it, it seems to me, and I don't know anything about anything other than I like the Facebook page, that there's a little bit of controversy. Seriously? Yeah. In the sports bar in Teaneck? I mean, among On what the, topic? Sports, uh, kosherous, what? I, I think there are a number of people who think that... What do we need it for? Oh, interesting. Um, you know, my my. You know, I'm a big advocate of it. I'm I'm an advocate of it only in look in Teaneck. There's uh, the only thing open past you know four o'clock in the afternoon is uh, chickies. Like that, I'm exaggerating a right. little bit, but certainly nine o'clock at night, except for chickies, everything's shut down. So here's a place that's open till eleven, open to three o'clock. Uh, I'm sorry, open to one. Open to three o'clock Saturday night. It's just a place. To be open, you grab it by whatever. Look, I can't eat after six o'clock anyway at this age. But uh, I don't know. I always, uh, I always like the kosher well, sports bar. Correct. Thing, and I so. think that you and I and most of the listeners are among the people who can enjoy something in moderation, in context, etc. And, and and I think that the the worry is that um, that some may overdo it. Some, well, uh, over overdo might be the wrong word, but overuse the right. opportunity to get out of the house and shirk other responsibilities. Understood. All right. Well, we'll hope that everyone will deal with it responsibly and uh, and hopefully. On the other hand, if the food is good, all bets are off. And we look forward to seeing it come into fruition. It'll be uh, in Teaneck, New Jersey, and. We're looking forward to it. On much more important issues, we do keep Gilad Ayala Naftali in our minds. I'm sure you're curious about uh, uh, if any government officials out there have gone ahead and uh, have been proactive. And I wanted to thank Scott Stringer and those elected officials awesome yesterday. Yeah, who were with them yesterday at 1 Center Street. This is what I think so many people in our audience have been demanding, uh, which is simply that elected officials, especially those who are uh, you know, usually outspoken on the Jewish causes, that they should come in. Uh, either to New York City or maybe in Washington itself, and uh, and make their voices heard. I think that's been the, uh, the I think that's been the um, a sentiment among our listeners. I, I think part of the frustration among the listeners to the silence, because there's often silence. Look, I or think near what, silence. Right, I, I think well, the silence of those who haven't really spoken at it. I, right. I think that, and and what you see here today is. There are other sides to other stories. Correct. Um, you know, the the human rights guy said, you know, it, we w- the Israel sort of wouldn't be the butt of the resolution if they didn't do something on the first day Correct. of the conference. Oh, right or wrong, more different. I'm opinion. just saying, right. there's there's some other logic in in that right. situation. I think here, it's in our opinion, it's just so easy to be against kidnapping children. Right. Why can't you just come out and say kidnapping children is wrong? Correct. And on top of that, uh, if, if you know th- those who are out there and proclaim themselves always out there for Jewish causes, uh, we, we, we've, we, we've thought that there would be a stronger response. And that's why I, uh, I resent the inaccuracy of the article written uh, about my position yesterday. Again, I resent the inaccuracy of the article written uh, regarding my position yesterday because I have acknowledged uh, from the beginning any government official, especially the high-profile ones, that have gone ahead and have... Um, and have issued statements of any type, even mild ones, in regard to the situation. That is not the complaint. The complaint is that uh, government officials have not taken a stronger stand, especially those locally with large Jewish contingencies, have not taken uh, constituencies, have not taken a stronger stand and more vocal stand at this point. So to those who misrepresented me yesterday, I do, in fact, 
resented. JM and the AM, live from uh, a talk radio day at the United Nations. Go ahead, Mark. And there's no reason to misrepresent you, because you can always go to the archives and listen to what he actually said. Correct. And I'm telling you, from the moment any statement came out, I certainly acknowledged it, but it may have complained uh, that it was simply not enough. All right. Um, uh, George Papayanos is here. And so many people in our audience have heard of UNESCO. And he heads UNESCO's UNESCO, by the way, stands for United Nations Educational, Scientific, and Cultural Organization. He heads the UNESCO External Relations Information Liaison Office in New York and provides a point of contact for the U.S. government, civil society organizations, and other interested parties working on issues of interest to UNESCO. Uh, it is an honor to welcome you to JM and the AM. Good morning. Well, thank you. It's an honor to be on the program, and I, I really appreciate that uh, that warm introduction. Before we get started, I do want to take a moment and... Uh, extend my my best uh, thoughts to uh, the uh, the families and uh, the people in Israel who are currently dealing with this uh, the, the kidnapping of these three boys. We're all praying that they uh, come home safely. It is much appreciated. Uh, I think that the Jewish world in general felt a a blow to the heart this past weekend. All of us collectively around the world and those who are expressing compassion and sympathy or concern. Believe me, all of that is appreciated as are the prayers for Gilad, Eyal, and Naftali. Um, uh, UNESCO, I, I mentioned uh, what it stands for. Uh, as as, as so, so many people have heard of it over the years, but still would not be able to tell you uh, what it does. seems to always be in the news at the different times, both opportune and it's inopportune. inopportune. Uh, how would you describe the organization well, to this audience? I mean, right now, I think you know, maybe your listeners might find of interest is that we're, we're running a, a, an incredible exhibition at our Paris headquarters that we're doing in partnership with the Simon Wiesenthal Center. And it looks at the 3,500-year-long history that uh, the Jewish people have had with the Holy Land. And I think that this is an important uh, statement about what you UNESCO does that I think, again, for the audience here, uh, would find would find of interest. Also, uh, just uh, last week we had another um, another program on the on the Sephardi, right. essentially looking at the Sephardic and, Jews on the Sephardic Jews and the and the, and the linguistic um, uh, elements that are there that are unique in terms of Ladino, etc. Um, last year with B'nai B'rith, we did a fantastic program on Yiddish. And I'm a, I'm a, I'm a kid who grew up in, in New York City over at the, uh, at Penn South. And, uh, if you, you know, that was partially done with the International Ladies Garment Workers Union. That's correct. And if you didn't hear Yiddish going up and down the elevator every day, I tell you, it was, it was, it was my, it was my fourth language. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go back for a second to what you mentioned about Paris. This was something brought to our attention by Rabbi Steve Berg from the Wiesenthal Center just about a week ago. Uh, the exhibition sounds remarkable and I'm sure it's so educational for so many people who probably are not even familiar with that era at this point. Uh, how has it been received? Is there a review yet? Like, what, what have people said about it who've been there? Well, all I've heard is that it's, you know, people are interested, people are going in. I think it's been very, very well received. Um, it is, it is, as you said, a part of what I think, you know, when you talked about why, what, what does UNESCO stands for, right. you know, it's interesting. We, you know, what we stand for is in our name, the Educational, Scientific, and Cultural Organization. Correct. But, but, but yet, it can be a bit obtuse when you think about what that what does that mean when you talk about those things well what it means are programs like this 
like the Simon Wiesenthal exhibit, like what we did on, on the Yiddish language, uh, and other things that we do around the world, the work that we do in, in, in countries in crisis mm-hmm. and in trying to make sure that um, women and girls are getting to school, that there's literacy in the world, that we're empowering people to be, to be part of the best steps forward in which they take care of themselves and by taking care of themselves and their families, they actually take care of their communities. And when people are engaged in that, they don't have time for other things. And other things, unfortunately, sometimes mean bad things right. that can actually destabilize communities. Oh, we understand the benefit of it, that's for sure. George uh, Papianos is here, and UNESCO is our focus. Does Israel participate in UNESCO programs? Are they looked to for leadership at all in these I areas? Mean, Israel, Israel is definitely a full member of UNESCO, along with the United States. What you might find interesting, and maybe for your listeners as well, sure. is that Israel and the United States are not funding UNESCO at this time, and this has to do with the 2011 admission of Palestine with with full membership rights at at UNESCO, which triggered a law that went back to the days of Yasser Arafat, which are a a long time ago. The world has changed, and we have to look at what the relationship is between the U.S. and Israel, their relationship to, to UNESCO, and the importance that UNESCO has in terms of engaging with the rest of the world. How will this be resolved? Will it well, remain status quo? I hope it doesn't remain status well, quo. Well, that's obvious in the way I, you're presenting it. Yeah, right. Because I think it's too important. Well, Understood. But is there a chance? I mean, what, Here's where the chance is. I'll tell you exactly where the chance is. Because we're in the United States, and here people eventually respond. When I say people, I mean policymakers will eventually respond when people start to talk and say, hey, maybe this isn't a good thing. Maybe we need to be fully engaged. The fact that we're not paying is having an impact, and Israel isn't paying either. And they've done it in, in cooperation with the Americans. Right. And it, what it does is it says we're there, but we're not there. So when you engage and you're not paying, I mean, go to a restaurant, eat the meal, and then try to leave. We know the value of membership know. fees, right? So, you know, I mean, it's important to be part of this, and there are obligations. But that cost, what's the real cost? Because it's not about the money. It's about engaging with the rest of the world. It's about the fact that the United States and Israel are best friends and that the U.S. is always there and has Israel's back. And Israel needs that relationship not only because it's a, it's a good relationship, but it's also part of what, of what makes both countries, you know, their, it increases their capacity to engage with the rest of the world. And, and, and you do that at UNESCO. Now, I know that there are a lot of people who think that this was the right thing to do, but I don't understand in today's day and age where we think that disengagement ultimately is the right thing to do. If you disengage, then you will let other people control the dialogue. You will let other people control the agenda. And UNESCO is one of those organizations where what we work on today has an impact in the next 20 years. I do not want to see a world that I don't recognize in 20 years because this country did not have an opportunity to contribute to what were the programs and the agendas that UNESCO was going to be dealing with. That scares me. That's not good for the U.S., and it's not good for Israel. George, you have given me food for thought, to say the least. Well, thank you. Um, Is this strictly a Washington decision? It is. It's a a congressional decision. And uh, and it's a decision that also has, you know, there's input from Israel as well. You know, these, again, I respect the fact that 
in Israel, the Israelis do not want to give the Palestinians a free pass on this issue. But there are there are a number of ways to approach this in a constructive way, working with members of Congress. What the president needs is a waiver of the law. This is not unusual. Some people will tell you that it is, but it's not. If you look at a foreign affairs authorization bill and you look at what are the directives there, things that direct the executive essentially include usually a customary national security waiver. If if the president thinks that it's in the national interest of the United States, then he can waive this law. Doesn't take the law off the books. The law remains. The question is whether or not it's in the national interest. I think it's in the national interest to be in there and doing what we do best as Americans, and that is fighting for what we believe in, getting in there, mixing it up, being the power of our ideas. And UNESCO is unique within this system of the U.N. We're a Jeffersonian democracy. One country, one vote. We all, the, the islands of Micronesia have the same vote as the United States. Right. And from our perspective, that's a good thing. And from our perspective, that's a good thing. That's a good thing, because it says that we that we that we we empower others. We believe in them. We believe in their in in, in their process of distilling facts and then joining with us. And we're much stronger if we're not bigfooting things, but rather bringing people together. Is every member nation of the UN a, a member of UNESCO? I think we actually may have more because we've actually included Palestine Correct. as a member. So that would be an example of even more. Of even more inclusiveness. And again, respecting all of the issues right. here and not in any way trying to discount the concerns. But I, I, I have to tell you that I do believe very, very firmly we're all better off if we're fully engaged. That goes for the United States. That goes for Israel. Um, George Papayanis, UNESCO. As I said earlier, you've given us uh, food for thought this morning. I appreciate you joining us here. I look forward to an opportunity to engage in the future. I don't disappear. I'm here whenever you want me. Greatly appreciate that. Thank you so a much. A pleasure. JM and the AM as we continue our conversations here on uh, Talk Radio Day at the United Nations. I do remind everybody that the... Uh, uh, that the uh, weekly update tomorrow will feature Malcolm Honline live in studio taking your questions. Make sure to join us tomorrow morning right here at JMNAM starting at about 7.40. I also remind you that we have amazing programming all day long on the stream at jmnam.org. I'm followed by Charlie Harari and then, of course, uh, Miriam L. Wallach with a program that will include both Robbie Berman of the Hode Society and uh, Rochi Shoritz of uh, Sharsheret all coming up between 10 and 11 this morning. I also want to acknowledge that Daniel Gordon is going to be doing an interesting stunt show today. He's actually going to be playing his favorite country music and explaining why some of those songs are so meaningful to him. That's between 1 and 2 p.m. after our live lunch today on the stream at jmandtheam.org. We're at the United Nations for Talk Radio Day, and I want to thank everybody who's been so helpful, especially from t uh, TR... Uh, TR... <laughs> thank you, TRNS. <laughs> thank you to Lucas for reminding me. TRNS has been amazing. And I thank uh, Ellen Ratner and everybody who helped uh, coordinate this day. Uh, I want to welcome, and I hope I have the proper pronunciation, uh, Takeshi Kono. Yes, excellent. Thank you very much. Takeshi Kono is Special Advisor and Senior Program Advisor uh, for the uh, UNDP, the United Nations Development Program. Thank you very much for joining us, and Thank welcome you. to the show. Thank you for inviting me. Um, uh, w w explain to our audience what is the uh, United Nations Development Program. Right. Uh, we have about 170 or so uh, presence all over the planet uh, doing a uh, lot of development work. So basically assisting uh, countries, uh, depending on their programs, 
say, you know, if they want to uh, prevent the uh, uh, disasters, like uh, natural disasters, hurricanes, typhoons, like what we saw in the Philippines, right. uh, we assist them uh, in preparation, you know, educating the uh, population, uh, writing loads sometimes. And also we are assisting, uh, like, elections uh, all over the world. Uh, with other agencies. So we are one of the, uh, the biggest UN uh, network uh, in development, uh, working with other UN agencies. So essentially any country that's working on either a special program or even, as you said, elections, which is something that happens on a recurring basis in a country, you're there to help uh, supervise, assist, provide uh, information, I assume all the above, right? Yes. Uh, we. You're right. You know, quite a wide, wide range of uh, activities we do, uh, working with, uh, you know, so called government we call it program government uh, and you know if they request uh, to you know write laws uh, in increasing the number of uh, female legislators right. Uh, and then we draft a law for them. Sometimes that happens. Interesting. So it could yeah. be a variety. You mentioned the natural disasters, hurricane relief, etc. And, and uh, when you talked about prevention of natural disasters, I assume warning systems and things like that are essential uh, for all that. Are there certain countries spending an insane amount of money to develop those? <laughs> t- I mean, I would assume so, right? Yes. It, it's worth it in the long run to, to know when a tsunami is about to hit the country. Exactly. Uh, uh, you know... My, my country, Japan, is not really a programming country that receives assistance from UNDP. Right. But say, uh, there are, you know, a lot of knowledge that we really need to increase. For example, not just purchasing the equipment for warning system, but, you know, train people, uh, how to manage, uh, how to record, how to inform, you know, how to, uh, transmit the message to the population. These are the, you know, aspects that is often neglected. Uh, and, you know, Japan's knowledge, for example, uh, can be uh, used uh, to, you know, uh, in a way duplicate, you know, what uh, can be done in other countries. Where has uh, your work taken you this week? <laughs> what's your latest project? What's, My latest? What's, on, what's on, the, uh, on the front burner, as we say? Um, well, we are working on uh, this uh, Philippine, you know, that was hit by, you know, a uh, huge uh, typhoon uh, last year. And then that was uh, one of the, you know, most intense operations. But, uh, you know, don't forget that it's not just, the, you know, uh, the, the times that the disaster right. affects, but that we really have to be prepared. And then UN is hosting the, uh, the third UN conference on disaster risk reduction next year in March. Uh, so we are gearing up to that uh, world conference uh, to, you know, and ensure that the governments are, you know, well aware how important it is to, you know, train people and then, uh, you know, inform the population. Takeshi Kono is here on the talk radio day here at the United Nations. You mentioned elections before. What would be a good example of a country that's turned to you uh, for help with their election process? Right. Uh, keep in mind that we are uh, not really a forefront organization right. because it's the ownership should be in the it's government. Understood. Yeah. So With a lot of things that we discovered today, by the way. Government, oh. Government's in charge. The U.N. is there to... To move things along, assist, etc., to, to fund when necessary, etc., etc. Exactly. So this, our assistance, uh, you know, is directed to assist the, uh, you know, government. For example, in Tunisia, uh, is one of the examples that uh, they did have a, a successful constitutional reform uh, at the time of, you know, very intense, uh, difficult time uh, for the country. 
and the UNDP was uh, really assisting uh, in a way, you know, behind the uh, the, the, the the curtain, uh, how to you know uh, ensure the you know laws are written properly, and then how uh, what can be done to you know ensure this implementation of the laws. Wow. Uh, so it was uh, very delicate. Uh, I can imagine. <laughs> but in the end, the outcome is pretty good. I Thank say. God. Yeah. Thank God. Not every country would the outcome always be good, but at least in this case, you enjoyed that. Uh, well, it's a pleasure meeting you. Continue Wonderful. your amazing work with the United Nations, and thanks for welcoming us here Thank today. you very much for you know inviting me. Thank you very much. Uh, Takeshi Kono of the United Nations Development Program. I thank you for joining us this morning at JM in the AM. Uh, more coming up. Keep it right here at 91.1 FM, 90.1 FM in the Catskills, Rockland County at 91.9 FM, and around the world on the web, jmtheam.org.
אתם קידושים, אם אתם אתם, אם אתם קידושים, אם אתם אתם, אם אתם קידושים, אם אתם אתם, אם אתם קידושים, אם אתם אתם, Talk Radio Day at the United Nations. Thank you, Talk Radio News Service, and to uh, everybody who's been so helpful here, the United Nations Correspondents Association, and everybody who's been uh, helpful in this building today. A uh, very interesting visit to the United Nations. Spoke to a lot of very interesting people here this morning. There have been some historic moments at the U.N. The U.N. was founded back in San Francisco in 1945. Israel joined the U.N. officially on uh, May the 11th of 1949. In fact, the partition plan that led to the, uh, the great development of the 20th century of the State of Israel happened right here. The vote happened right here in November of 1947. 
Uh, we prepared for this show and uh, found a uh, a tidbit that told us that there were 191 member states in the United Nations, but apparently the number is over 200 based on what we've heard today. I think I even heard as high as 220-something earlier. Uh, Daniel Patrick Moynihan, on November the 10th of 1975, addressed the United Nations on the topic of Zionism racism. And uh, I quote Daniel Patrick Moynihan uh, in likely the greatest speech of his career said, the lie is that Zionism is a form of racism. The overwhelmingly clear truth is that it is not. And uh, that was his one of his statements that day. Other great speeches have happened in this building. Chaim Herzog, Abba Eben, Benjamin Netanyahu, all who served in capacities that gave them the opportunity to address this body. And here we are today at the United Nations on a day where we continue to pray for the release of Gilad, Eyal, and Naftali, a day that included prayer during this show, which is a rarity, as all of you know. Earlier today, we recited a chapter of Tehillim together. We figured that aside from the, not aside, but in addition to the uh, worldwide prayers that are going on for Gilad, Eyal, and Naftali, the fact that we are in this building, a building where we continuously pray that the United States and Israel and all freedom-loving nations will be treated fairly, we felt it was appropriate for a prayer to be said, and that is why that happened at 7.35 this morning Eastern Time here at JM in the AM. My thanks to both Miriam L. Wallach and Mark Zamek, who have again proven to be uh, wonderful radio producers for today's show. Uh, where will today take you? To Midtown Manhattan, I assume, Mr. Zamek, correct? I, I hope so. Midtown Manhattan. That would Midtown be Manhattan. that would be your usual base. Midtown you're not on the west us- side. I'm not on the east side. You're not usually this far east nor this Ooh. far south. When, 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 the, when the cab driver was pulling up to First Avenue, I go, oh, I can't remember the last time I was on First Avenue. <laughs> well, you mentioned it earlier. You were in this building during your eighth grade trip. Pretty much. I mean, you know, I, I don't remember the last time I was in this building, but it might, may also be... Back in elementary school. I mean, I spent more time on the east side when we were in Yeshiva College. You'd come down to Stern, technically the east side. Right, right east side of Manhattan. Right. Uh, anyways. As opposed to the lower east side. Right, that's a, a completely different area. Uh, What's this area called? This is not Murray Hill. This is east of Murray Hill, right? What is this official name? It, it has a name. It has a name where. What is this? It's not. Like something Bay. That's a great question. What is this official neighborhood at 42nd Street and 1st Avenue in Manhattan called? That's a very good question. And this is the type of question that usually will bother me for the rest of the day. See, those kind of questions shouldn't bother you for the rest of the day. Because we have the Internet. Right. What does the Internet tell us about uh, this neighborhood and how people refer to it when they're uh, traveling on the east side in the low 40s in Manhattan? How do they refer to it? Turtle Bay. Turtle Bay, right. I knew it was something Bay. Turtle Bay. Wow. I wonder how it got its name. Hey, guess what? You can probably tell us how it got its name. So, <laughs> how did the neighborhood known as Turtle Bay? Turtle Bay is a neighborhood in New York City on the east side of Midtown Manhattan. It extends between 43rd Ooh. and 53rd Street at eastward from Lexington Avenue to the East River. Across from Roosevelt Island, it is the site of the United Nations headquarters and the Chrysler Building. And no explanation of why it's called Turtle Bay? Um... Um, Englishman, blah, blah, blah. Francis Bayard, blah, blah, blah. Nothing else? I'm, I'm assuming... Oh, there's a Turtle Bay farm. That's it. It was a graded to create cross streets. There you go. Wrapping things up on a Thursday from the United Nations. Tomorrow, Malcolm Homeline as we explore the incredible world of ours.
through his eyes. You'll get a chance to ask your question, and you'll please use the app. Use the app tomorrow to ask your questions. All you got to do after 6 a.m. tomorrow morning is go to our app, the NSN app on Android or on iPhone, and use the section that says Add a Comment to ask your question. We will give priority to app questions tomorrow at JM in the AM. Before we wrap up the program, to give a big thank you to the person responsible for us being here today and for a whole bunch of great stuff we get to do in the world of radio and media, and that's Ellen Ratner, of course, who is the uh, president of Talk Radio News Service. Well, thank you so much, and I enjoy being with you, and I can't wait to do a little bit of reporting for you on your way to Israel from Poland. Phenomenal. Thank you very right. much. Uh, we're taking a Ruth's trip for my brother's 70th birthday. We're taking him to my father's house in Bihalishtok and uh, the old to country. Auschwitz and to uh, Treblinka and uh, all those places. Unbelievable. We look forward to those reports, and I can't wait to have you on the air. That is going to be historic and something that every listener needs to hear. And you know, hear. there's also a new Jewish museum in Warsaw, which is amazing. I highly recommend you go and do your show from there. Thank and you. I'll come with you. Thank you very much. Uh, these offers are wonderful, and we appreciate it. Uh, you do, and this, this audience is unique because you never know how they're going to respond. They sometimes surprise us with in, incredible things. Uh, you work in the South Sudan. I do uh, work in South Sudan. And have brought to my attention the suffering that goes on there. There are a couple of simple items that if people in this audience have in bulk or access to them in bulk can be extremely helpful to your efforts. And they include Polaroid film. Right. Goats. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Polaroid film and mirrors, correct? If somebody... Mirrors and Polaroid film. Polaroid film is most important. Mirrors we can buy in the markets there. Right. Polaroid film, obviously not. So anybody out there who has a storehouse, and you never know in this community, frankly, right. uh, that's filled with thousands of cases of old Polaroid film, we want to know about it. They should contact me ASAP. And you know what else? We, we, we like any kind of sporting goods that we can send over. And believe it or not, I have with our women who decorate themselves for weddings right. a makeup business. So in the middle go. of South Sudan. We no running water, no electricity, but we got makeup. 
Unbelievable. So I want to emphasize that. And, and, and also not just the Polaroid film, but on the mirror front, I don't know, there could be somebody out there. With a lot a of our people were held in slavery. And what really brought me to South Sudan was my Jewish background right. and the fact that I grew up with Passover, understanding slavery. It's the largest genocide since the end of World War II, bigger than Cambodia and Rwanda combined. Which should speak to this community uh, multifold, to exactly. say the least. And anybody wants to come with us, we go every 12 weeks. Welcome to have you. Just be prepared for no running water and no electricity. That's right. Thank you very much for everything. Thank you. Ellen Ratner, everybody. Talk Radio News Service has been an amazing help to us and is the reason we are here today for this historic day, uh, referred to as Talk Radio Day at the United Nations. Achim of Yisrael and Achim Achem, our brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial and around the world on the web, jmandtheam.org. And that will wrap up this uh, historic program. I thank everybody from Talk Radio News Service to Justin and Lucas and to everybody who's been so helpful to us here on the spot. ZK is here as our chief engineer, and I thank him. Stan in our studio, and I thank him. And, of course, Miriam L. Wallach and Mark Zamek. Tomorrow morning, the focus of our radio program will be a uh, conversation with Malcolm Holmline. He'll be taking your questions regarding what's going on in this crazy world of ours. That starts about 7.40 tomorrow right here at JM in the AM. We are followed by Charlie Harari in the Book of Life right now, and then Miriam Wallach and That's Life starting at 10 a.m. Eastern Time. And make sure, if you like country music, to tune into Daniel Gordon's program at 1 p.m. today as he goes through his favorites and explains why they are his favorites. Our prayers and thoughts continue for Gilad, Eyal, and Naftali. Keep them in mind, everybody, throughout the entire day. Till tomorrow, Nachum Siegel reminding you, remember the past, live the present, and trust the future.